This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Are you ready to get into the Word this evening? I'm very excited about the message that I'm going to be sharing with you. It's part number four on ER, Extraordinary Relationships. And I think I'm going to be focusing on something unique as the Lord has led me this evening. And so just won't you just pray with me before I pray. Let me just say this. I'm very grateful to my spiritual father. I'm so glad that the Lord connected me with Apostle Theo way back in October 1991. And that relationship has extended even now. And I'll tell you exactly, get back to the roots of that and why I'm so grateful. But thank you, Apostle Theo, for trusting me with, with this platform. I'm really, really grateful. And um, let's give our senior and founding pastors just a great hand. Amen. Holy Ghost, if you don't show up tonight, we may as well all go home. So I ask you to be present in this meeting. You are the teacher. You are the author of the Bible and the teacher. I know that there are people here tonight in various spaces and areas and relationships in their lives. And Lord, I, I really pray that your word would speak to each and every one of us. Unscramble the egg for many people this evening and navigate us through the maze of complexity that can sometimes come up in relationships. Simplified for us tonight, Lord God, so that we can all move into extraordinary relationships, not just ordinary, but extraordinary relationships. Help us to understand that you as an extraordinary God penetrated an ordinary world to enter into a relationship with the fallen people just because you loved us. I think, Lord, what I'm asking you tonight to do is just to make us just a little bit more like you in our relationships. And all those who agreed said, Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, when my kids were growing up, they'd always introduce me. Dad, this is my friend. They were like three or four years old. Dad, this is my new friend. This is my new friend. And I always had a challenge with that because I found myself saying to my kids, they're not friends, they're acquaintances. And I think with the world we live in today, acquaintances have become friends. I mean, you even get Facebook friends. Give me a continental break. The person that just befriended me in Salmo that I said hello to last week has not qualified as a friend in my life. Friends, friendship has become something that's fleeting. And, um, and, so, and so I'd always say to my kids, no, my darling, they're acquaintances. <laughs> when they're prepared to give their life for you, that's when they become friends. And so the kind of friendship that I'm speaking tonight about really is getting back to the root of what true friendship is all about. And I, I really want us to undergo kind of a relational rep of a reformation this evening as we delve into the scriptures. So the Bible is full of instructions about relationships. So what I've done is I've picked just a few relevant verses for tonight's message that will really serve as a foundation to build godly relationships on before I delve tonight later on into the book of friendship. Did you know your Bible had a book of friendship? It's right between Psalms and Proverbs. No, I'm just kidding. I'll reveal the secret to you a bit later. But yeah, your Bible has a book of friendship, but I'll get into that a bit later. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapters 4. I'm going to be choosing some verses, not reading all through 8 to 12. It says here, there was a man all alone. How does Solomon start off with such a sad statement? Starts off by saying, there was a man all alone. I can't think of a greater torture than being alone in life. Being alone, the last member of your family that's left with no one to love, to look after you, with no friends, no one to connect to. When you fall, you fall alone. When you succeed, you succeed alone without anybody to 
to enjoy that success with you. When you build, you build, and at the end, you're all alone. I can't imagine a greater punishment in this life than walking alone. And yet, I still find it so fascinating fascinating why people choose to walk alone. Because of hurts, they build up walls around them, and they don't want to let anybody in. Because, because of disappointments, because of betrayals, they slowly erect these walls around them um, in order not to let anybody in. Because when they let people in, they get hurt. I'm saying risk everything rather than being alone. So he says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. This too is meaningless, a miserable business, the Bible says. It goes then on to tell us something that we know quite well, that two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. So here we start off with this vision of, of loneliness, of, 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 of despair contrasted against just two people and the kind of change that it can make. So from going alone now just to being two, all of a sudden there's return for your labor. If one falls, the other one picks the other one up. One can help the other up. But, but I pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if you lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord three strand of three strands is not quickly broken. I was reminded of a story I read just the other day. This one past had these two dogs, um, Tango and Cash. And these two dogs would sit poised, stalking, ready for the squirrels to come out the forest so they could run and chase them. They never ever caught them, but they would run out and chase them without fail every single afternoon as this pastor would sit on his stoop. As the years went by, one of the dogs who was a bit older went blind. And what the pastor noticed was that this dog who was blind would no longer look into the brush. He turned, he changed his position, and he looked to the dog, his friend that lay next to him because he could see the hairs on that dog's back. And when the hairs on the dog's back went up, he would bolt. And it's a very powerful story because sometimes we can't see God ourselves, but if we can see someone who sees God, when the hair stands up on their back, we end up bolting. And I think that really encapsulates what Ecclesiastes is saying. But oftentimes we like to believe that we're always the dog that's going to see God. But let me tell you, what Ecclesiastes teaches us is there's going to be times where you're going to be the dog that sees a squirrel. But there's going to be other times where you're going to be the blind one that's going to need to be the one to see the one who sees the squirrel in order to get to God. Amen? And so when we talk about, when I talk this evening about revitalizing or, uh, or going, undergoing a, a, a relational reformation, um, such is life, just like these two mutts, Tango and Cash. Sometimes you're going to be Tango, sometimes you're going to need Cash, you're going to be Cash, but one thing is sure, that Tango needs Cash and Cash needs Tango. Personally, I prefer being called Cash. Turn with, me to, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Walk with the wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. Notice it's a process. For the companion of fools suffers harm. What an interesting verse and an interesting comparison. Yeah, so the, 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 Solomon is saying of you, it's really not rocket science. You get to choose who you want in your life. Either you want people who are going to be ordinary, or you're going to choose people that are going to be extraordinary. 
If you truly want to be wise, the scripture says, stop hanging out with fools. But Pastor Andre, I don't know what a fool is. Well, then why not just go to your concordance, check up what fool, what fool is, and read every scripture in the Bible. It'll tell you how fools speak, how they act, where they go. In actual fact, I did you all a favor, and I went and looked at just, just a couple. Because remember, it says, if you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. In the companions of fools, you will suffer harm. Look at this. It says, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. So now the Bible says, if you're going to hang around people that all they want to do all the time is share their opinions, you're hanging around with a fool, you're going to suffer harm. Check this one out. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools. What's wrong with my voice now? I'm like a tenor. <laughs> Can we edit that in post? Um, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. If you've got any friends that are really close to you and they're complacent, we've got a problem, Houston. Because that's what fools are like. And the Bible says the companion of fools, it's not even intentionally hanging with them. You just have to be their companion. Notice those two words, walk and companion. Who walks with the wise, it speaks about intentionality. It speaks about commitment. It speaks about a journey. The Bible says if you walk with the wise, you will grow wise. But the companion of fools, and I find many Christians hanging around with the wrong crowd. They're spending more time with companions than they are walking with the wise. But listen to this one. A fool shows his annoyance at once. But the prudent overlook an insult. Stop hanging around people who lose their temper too quickly. The Bible says not only will they suffer harm, but you will as well. It says here in Proverbs 15, a fool spurns a parent's discipline. Don't hang around people who don't respect their parents. And I'm not just talking about their parents at home. I'm talking about those people who would dare speak against their spiritual parents. The one who walks with the wise will grow wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is what the Bible says. It's not rocket science. So notice and put a circle in your Bible around the difference between walk. It speaks about intentionality. It speaks about effort versus companionship, which speaks about rather being with people. That you're indifferent about who you hang around with. You blasé. There's no investment. Go with me to Proverbs 12 and verse 26. And these are just introductory scriptures. We're going to get into the meat in a moment. Proverbs 12, verse 26. The righteous choose. <laughs> the righteous don't wait to be chosen. The righteous choose their friends. I remember being in school and you'd have a whole group of young people and the soccer coach would come onto the field and he'd say, Greg, Stand there, Andre, stand here, and the, now you have to have a chance to pick your team member, remember? You picked your team members, and everybody knew <laughs> that the person that was going to be picked first was the best player. In Pedro's case, he was like picked last, right at the end of the queue, and you knew, and you knew. <laughs> He's a very good soccer player, so I'm just, I'm just spotting with him, but, but you, all, you knew, and they'd pick, and the guys would pick, and I'd pick one, and Greg would pick one, and I mean, we'd, he'd pick Johnny, I'd pick Simon, he'd, he'd pick the legless guy, then I'd pick Pedro, lost kind of thing. <laughs> I'm going to write it a bit, but anyway, 
But you always knew that the guy was picked, that was picked last was no good. You were hovering like waiting. Pick me, <laughs> like the donkey in Shrek. Won't you just please pick me? Don't pick me last because you're telling every single kid in the school that I'm a loser. But you know, folks, the truth is that I noticed this mentality amongst young people today. They're waiting for affirmation from those who are popular at school or famous on social media. They're the guys that are sitting there waiting, saying, oh, won't you just befriend me? Won't you just like what I do on Facebook? Won't you just, friendship has become so fickle. They're seeking acknowledgement from people who don't even know who you are and will never invest into you. This idea of waiting to be picked by the crowd or affirmed by those who are popular instead of making your own hay while the sun shines. You don't wait to be picked. <laughs> You're the guy that gets to pick. That's what this verse says. Stop waiting to be picked. Stop waiting for the friends to come. Look at what it says. It says, the righteous choose. The righteous never wait to be chosen. I raise my kids to say and to believe that you are leaders. You are always out in front. You're never the one at the back waiting. Look what it says. The righteous choose, not wait to be chosen. They choose their friends carefully. But look what it says, goes on to say, it says, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. What an interesting comparison from choosing friends to becoming wicked. Don't you think it's a bit extreme? What do I think that this verse is telling us? What is Solomon trying to communicate? Solomon is simply trying to communicate this. He's warning us that isolation ultimately will result in wickedness. Now, the word wicked simply means crooked. If you don't have extraordinary relationships in your life, over a term, your life will progressively become more wicked and skewed, crooked in your thinking, crooked in your understanding, crooked in the way you perceive relationships, you perceive the world. It's never good to isolate yourselves. Ordinary relationships are based on things like personality, common interests, and sports. I'm talking about ordinary relationships. When we first came into ministry, myself and Pastor Greg identified that we both in played, enjoyed playing golf. That was until I beat him every time, then he didn't want to play golf with me anymore. <laughs> I'm kidding. He won once, I think. But <laughs> if it was, and now listen, if it was just the golf, that's, that kept us together. After I beat him, we wouldn't have been friends anymore. But there was something far greater that connected us together, and it was a common vision. And what was that vision? That vision was a vision disseminated by the Holy Ghost through a man that led us. And the vision simply stated that we are called to walk together, to bring people into the family of Jesus Christ, develop them to spiritual maturity, equip them for their work in the ministry in order to magnify God's name. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but one of the first things we're going to be taking a look at a bit later is purpose, the purpose in your relationships. So you see, ordinary relationships are based on things like personality, common interests, and sports. It doesn't mean that because you're the same, that you are called to arrive at the same destination. And likewise, there have been a few incidences in my life where the people I've drawn close to me, to my inner circle, haven't grown at the rate I believe God wanted them to do. And they were in my assignment for a season where I've had to sit across the table from them and said, listen, um, I, can't be, I can't be your friend anymore. 
We can be acquaintances, but I've got to downgrade this thing. Because you see, friends are like elevators. They'll either take you up or take you down. And the friend that keeps you on a, on, the, on a plane is also no friend at all. He's just a companion. And some of us need to take stock of the current relationships we are in and filter them through the scriptures and say, listen, is this a God thing or is it just a good thing? Because not every good thing is a God thing. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 says this, profound scripture, as iron sharpens iron, so one person, notice that, so one person, although the proverb is speaking about iron, it's comparing iron to people, we get sharpened in relationships with others. And this is why groups is so absolutely essential. You're gonna come into a group environment where their common purpose is to grow and become more like Jesus every day. But I can promise you now, it's always going to be a mixed bag of nuts. You're going to get people in there with issues, with bondages that maybe got divorced. Some are coming out of addiction. Um, you're going to get a guy that's a, that's, a, that's a pulferer or casual thief, recovering, alcoholics. You're going to get a whole bunch of people in the groups that you go to. But if your goal in the group, if your purpose in the group is just to feel better, let me tell you what, that's the worst reason to get involved in a group. The Bible says here that we get sharpened when we're in company with people. Talk about sharpening. Um, go with me, please, in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 10. Listen to what it says here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon again notice, he says, he says if the axe is dull and its edge un sharpened. Proverbs just told us that how are we sharpened? Iron sharpens iron. People in contact, in connection with one another, in friendships, in extraordinary relationships with one another. That's what sharpens us. He says that if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill, what skill? In choosing your friends carefully in choosing extraordinary relationships as opposed to ordinary ones will bring success. I used to watch every now and then when I was in America on ESPN, one of the things they like to do in America is chop trees for sport. <laughs> Go figure. And these guys would, and they would, they would put poles in front of them or these big trees, these oak trees, and they'd say, Go. And these guys would see who could chop quicker. And you'd notice that some of the guys that won were the guys that took time out to sit down while all the others were chopping to make sure that they just sharpened the axe. They had to pull themselves away from the activity in order to sharpen their axe. Now that's never, because I mean you're in co competition by nature is you gotta get it done quickly. Over here he says, listen, he says unless you're gonna grow with people, your life is going to be stunted. Unless you have these these strong connections and these strong friendships that you develop and cultivate over a period of time in your life, you, you, you're not gonna get there as quickly as you would have with them as you would without them. Did I get that right or did I flip that around? Because it's terrible. You're sitting there sharpening your exit. Make it, you have to sit down. And that's what relationships are like. You have to take time away. Can you imagine a guy sitting down there sharpening his axe and everyone else is chopping? How, 
how terrible it must feel, but I need to work, I need to do it. Solomon says, he says, listen, you need to sharpen your axe, and the way we do this is through relationships. And so, moving on, I want to speak about three areas that we need to be aware of in order to move relationships from ordinary to extraordinary. Tonight, really, for us that are listening and for those that will maybe watch on Facebook, either now or later, Tonight is all about taking stock of our existing relationships and placing them under God's microscope, if you would. God's word and wisdom in order to ascertain whether there are some of those relationships that we have that can maybe move from ordinary to extraordinary. And this is the contrast between ordinary and extraordinary. And the culmination of our message is going to come down to those two groups of friends that we have and what we need to choose. So we're going to be pulling a statement of our relational account tonight, so to speak. Am I overdrawn? <laughs> Have you drawn more out of the friendship than you've invested into it? Am I overinvested into something that's not showing godly dividends? Am I invested into a relationship? Am I pursuing this girl and she ain't pursuing nothing back? Just to oversimplify it. What's the balance sheet say? Am I depositing while everyone else is withdrawing? Do I give into this relationship and give and give? They withdraw without ever investing back into it. And so we're going to be taking a look, as I mentioned earlier, at the book of relationships or the book of companions, which is actually the book of Ruth. Ruth's name means companion, means relationship. So we're going to take a look at these three areas from the book of Ruth and we're going to see how we can migrate and move our, our ordinary relationships into extraordinary ones. I want to give you a bit of a background first. So Ruth means companionship or friendship. The book of Ruth. So it's a book of companionship. And the book of Ruth really speaks about, now you might never have heard it taught in this light before, because the focus is generally Boaz, who is a type of Christ. And I'm going to assume tonight that you know the story. I don't have time to backtrack and tell you the story about Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah, and Boaz. But it tells a story of how any relationship can go from complete loss to a relationship that is extremely productive. It's a book that restores hope to our relationships in a relationally broken world. The book of Ruth starts off with a lady by the name of Naomi, a woman who's lost absolutely everything. She's lost her sons. She's lost her family. She has no grandchildren. She's a foreigner in a foreign country, all alone, without any prospects for the future. You can imagine you traveling to another country with your family. Everyone dies except you, and you're in a completely foreign nation. No one to look after you. You're beyond the age of being able to bear children. So we find this woman in a completely hopeless situation. But... In the book of Ruth, God is about to write into Naomi's life some extraordinary relationships that finds her ultimately not only being restored, but blessed beyond measure. So here we go with the first key that I'd like to share with you tonight, or the first area, and that is the area of purpose. The area of purpose you have to ask yourself the question within the relationships that you currently have right now, what is the purpose of this 
relationship. You see, because without purpose in your relationships, it will always only ever be ordinary. If there's no purpose in the relationship, it will always only ever be ordinary and it will stay the same. You'll be great companions. Without purpose, your relationship will hinge on personality types or what either of you can bring to the table. What do I bring? What do you bring? Purpose is the thing that really that def defines what extraordinary relationships should be built on. For example, I mentioned earlier on, I got born again in October 1991. Before I saw Apostle Theo, I read his vision statement. Before I saw the man, I read his vision statement. I read his purpose before I met him. To bring people, as I looked on the board in the old church I walked in, there was that blackboard on the screen, and behind me, the purpose or the mission statement of Christian Family Church was big in gold embossed writing. And it says, the purpose of this church, the mission, is to bring people into the family of Jesus Christ, develop them to spiritual maturity, equip them for their work in the ministry in order to magnify God's name. And then I met the man that carried the purpose. And it was that purpose that married me to the man. So I'm asking you tonight, what purpose do you have? You see, it was in about 1999, year 2000. A young, very much younger and leaner little Portuguese guy came and cornered me under the pork cashier of the old church. It was a very lonely term, pork cashier for Avdak. And I remember standing over there and he came to me and he says, Hey, Pastor, my name is Pedro. He still calls me Pastor. He just happens to be here tonight. He came, from, um, he came all the way from Portugal just for this message. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I like to believe that. But. So he came to me. He came to me in 2000. It was about 1999, 2000. He says, hey, Pastor, my name's Pedro. I'm Carla's brother. Listen, God's called me to be an evangelist. And I'm listening to this guy, and he's saying, I need you to equip me. I want to go preach the gospel. I want to plant a church. I want to go save the nations. I want to. And he was speaking at that kind of speed. I was going, la, 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 la. I couldn't keep up, you know. So now in my mind, if I look back, I'm thinking, what is the purpose? What can I do for you? And initially, I thought it really was to help him achieve and help him see his destiny. But God had something. Something. God had something far greater that he was working on that at the time we weren't even aware of. You see, I'd lost my brother. He had backslid and left for England just a few months prior to me meeting Pedro, who incidentally had also just lost his brother recently in an accident. And you see, although him and I didn't know it, what God knew we needed more than anything else was brothers <laughs> and not just friends. He knew I needed a brother who was lost, who I see very rarely, but and he, he had lost a brother. And so the purpose that we share is not just a ministry thing. It's a, it's, it's a brotherhood. The point I'm trying to make is as we take a look at purpose, I'm asking you the relationships that you currently find yourself in. What is the purpose of those relationships? You have to ask yourself the statement. And tonight I want to challenge you. Why are you in the relationships that you're in right now? What is the purpose of the relationship? You see, like anything else in life, if you don't know the purpose of something, we will inevitably abuse it. And you've heard me say this a thousand times before, but it bears repetition. The story of the gods must be crazy, and who picked up the Coke bottle, remember? He didn't know what the basic purpose of the Coke bottle was, so they used it for everything else except for its intended purpose, and that was just to hold Coke. And the same is true in life. If you don't know the purpose of something, you are bound to abuse it. 
Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, in the message translation, it says, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? <laughs> Try going to a different place while you hold someone's hand. Impossible. That's French for impossible. Before taking the hand of someone, there's a question that has to be asked, and the question is, where are you going? Because once I take your hand, I've agreed that where you're going, I'm going. How do you feel about God? How do you feel about church? How do you feel about involvement in church? How do you feel about tithing? How do you see business? These are questions that have to be asked. You see, if you take the hand of the person, you're saying, I've accepted, I'm going where you're headed, your destination automatically becomes my destination, which is a very scary thought because sometimes we enter into relationships because it makes us feel good in the moment. But let me tell you, you feel good now and you suffer the rest of your life. I can't tell you how many times us as pastors have to counsel people who have come and seen us who've been married for 15 years, who married outside Christianity, married people of different religions. What fellowship has Christ with Belial? Then they want to come to us pastors and we've got to fix their problem like this. <laughs> what fellowship? So in the moment, they were all in love. Their love crossed, their love crossed religious barriers. Religious divides. It doesn't matter that you're Jewish and I'm Christian or you're Muslim and I'm a Hindu. That doesn't matter. We're just in love, love, love. And then guess what? Reality kicks in and you realize, oy vey. So to ask that question first is critically important. What is the purpose? Where are you going? Or else you're going to wind up like the captain of the boat that took Jonah on board. I preached a message many years ago. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The captain didn't ask Jonah where he was going. He just saw the guy had money. And don't we do that often sometimes? We befriend people because we see that they're very flush. They're very wealthy. This captain thought, hey, here's a guy. Charged him to get on the boat. Didn't ask him the questions. The next minute, <laughs> he's literally throwing everything overboard. The sailors are throwing their wealth overboard. And then the captain catches a clue and he says, hey, who are you? Where are you going? And that's when Jonah comes clean. He says, what's your walk with God like? No, no, I'm, I know God, but I'm running away from Him. And you came onto my boat? Yeah, yeah. He asked the question, he asked the question way too late. So the first issue when we speak about purpose is you've got to ask yourself, what is the purpose? And never ever trade personality, charisma, hobby, hobbies and sports or emotional commonality for purpose. Purpose must be the thing that holds you together. Before you go into business with anyone, ask them, what is your purpose? Where are we going? What do you believe about the kingdom? How much do you believe in sowing into the kingdom? Turn with me to Ruth chapter 11, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush this as we, as we close. I said all that to come to these final verses. Ruth chapter 1, it says, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. So what has happened? Naomi's lost everything. She's got two daughters-in-law. One is Orpah and the other one is Ruth. And this woman is in a very, very vulnerable place. In actual fact, she's got no one. So she should be holding on to the only two relationships that she's got. But as a very brave person, and only a brave person would do, she's saying to herself, listen, I don't want you in my life if you don't want to be there. 
I'm in a very, I'm in a very bad space. I can't bring anything to this friendship. I can't bring anything to this relationship. I can't contribute anything. So I'm giving you a choice. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for would you would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's hand is turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, this is the ordinary friend. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But look at this. But Ruth, talk about extraordinary relationships. But Ruth clung to her. In verse 16 to 18, it says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And because she was an extraordinary friend, you see in the womb of Ruth lie the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus, our Savior. If she didn't recognize the importance of holding on to this extraordinary bond that she had with Naomi and leaving it and going where Orpah went, Christ would never have come through Ruth. But she was beyond a companion. She was an, un, an extraordinary friend. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death separates you, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You see, inevitably, folks, however, that when you find that friend or friends who carry similar purposes to you, like Naomi did in Ruth, problems are going to arise. So the first thing is purpose. What is the purpose of the relationships you currently have? Where's the person you're walking with going because you're gonna end up over there? So problems will arise, and that brings me to the second area that I'd like to focus on as we talk about extraordinary relationships. Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 says, <laughs> Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. You know the word Naomi means pleasant? Everyone wants to be the friend of the person whose name is pleasant. Don't you all just want to be friends with pleasant people? People who are continually pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi, which mom, she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She told them, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So here we find Naomi in a very bad place where she considers her life not only to be bitter, but to be in a very bitter place. And in these extraordinary relationships, problems are going to arise. Difficult times are going to come. And this gives us a beautiful picture of how they should be dealt with. You see, everyone wants to be Pleasant's friend, but no one wants to be Bitter's friend. This is, this is another reason why purpose is so important. Because without it, when Pleasant times 
in these relationships turn bitter. If you don't have purpose, the friendship won't last. But through every friendship, every real friendship, times of bitterness have to be entered into. And that's what the story of Naomi tells us. And the book of Ruth speaks to us about. You see, it's in the problem phases of life that you discover who your load-bearing friends are. Oftentimes, as I've done renovations in my home, I've been tempted to say to the builder, listen, break out that wall. I like open plan. So when Justin, who did my renovations recently, came to my house, I said, knock down this, knock down that. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you can't do that. He says, you get some walls, and I want to get the word right. He says, you get some walls that are decorative and other walls that are load-bearing. He says, the decorative walls you can do away with. Those are like ordinary relationships. You can do away with those. But the load-bearing walls, the load-bearing relationships, those you don't do away with. But what it teaches us over here is that it's the bitter times at the difficult times in friendship where you check who your load-bearing friends are and who your cosmetic friends are. What relationships are just ordinary connections and what relationships are extraordinary. Proverbs puts it this way, 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. You see, within Ruth, as I mentioned earlier, lie the seed form of the lineage that would eventually usher in our Savior. If Ruth had been just that decorative wall, if she had been that wall who likes to be around the pleasant person and not walk through that bitterness or that bitter period with that person, guess what would have happened? Christ would never have, the dream would never have been realized through her. Her name would in actual fact have been Orpah. Ruth's name would have been Orpah. Let's continue. And I know I'm going a bit over time, but please bear with me. I will come and land. I will land this ship soon. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields. She's just told her about how bitter her life is. Woe is me. There's no way out for me. What does Ruth do? Ruth says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go. So essentially what Ruth was saying, this, this uncommon friend, this extraordinary friend said, listen, I'll go do the work while you rest. While you're in this while you're in this place, you are of no good. You can't contribute to faith. I'm, I'm going to pick up the slack and I'm going to make this work. It's almost like the reason that we need to get this is because extraordinary relationships actually produce. You see, it's like building a jigsaw puzzle. Every single one of us in this room perhaps is a part of a jigsaw puzzle. And as you build a jigsaw puzzle, you'll know that you've got those pieces around you. And then those pieces connect to other pieces. So indirectly, you connect it and it makes a whole puzzle. But you only connect it to the very few people that are directly, that are directly linked to you. Now listen to this very, very carefully. You're a piece in that puzzle who has a direct contact with a few pieces around you. And they in turn touch pieces around them until the jigsaw puzzle is complete. Now listen to this. Proximity produces intimacy. And we're talking about extraordinary relationships versus ordinary ones. Proximity produces intimacy. Listen to this. And intimacy produces fertility. Remember this. Intimacy produced Isaac. But intimacy also produced Ishmael. 
Be careful of the people that you have around you in proximity with you because the wrong proximity will produce the wrong productivity. We must choose our relationships wisely, especially in marriage, especially in business, especially in ministry. If we put the wrong people in the wrong proximity of our lives, it's not a case of what, of will it produce, but rather what it will produce. We cannot be casual about our relation, in our relational world. And then the third area, as I mentioned now, about productivity. Take a look at what happens, and I'm going to close with this. Ruth chapter 2, verses 11, and this is so wonderful to see how God through Ruth, blessed Naomi, and how through Naomi, Ruth met Boaz. Boaz replied, and I'm accelerating this, verse 11. Boaz replied, and he's speaking to Ruth. He says, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Her reputation preceded her. And to cut a long story short, essentially what happens over here is that Boaz, as you know, is the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. And they have a son, and his name is Obed. But listen to this. When Obed is born, the town begins to shout out, Naomi has had a son. Naomi has had a son. This woman who years prior was barren and had no one, Naomi didn't have a son. Ruth had a son. But the town said Naomi had a son. Now listen to this in conclusion. An extraordinary relationship handed Naomi the gift of legacy. Gave her a son that she never thought she'd hold, a future that she thought was stolen. Through this extraordinary relationship and bond of friendship and the commitment of Ruth to Naomi and Naomi to Ruth, as we think about this extraordinary relationship and take stock of our own, I want you to know that in picking the right relationships in your life, it is absolutely essential that you understand that you may not understand everything that God has in store as you carefully choose your friends. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, you might be here tonight and I want to introduce you to the most extraordinary relationship that you would ever hope to have. And that is a relationship with Jesus. He is the extraordinary relationship that leads to all others. And so tonight as we've evaluated the relationships that we currently are in, whether they're ordinary or extraordinary, we take a look at proximity. We take a look at purpose. We take a look at productivity. Let me just say this, that a life with Jesus is filled with purpose. <laughs> it's filled with productivity. Continually filled with productivity. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front and I'm not going to go to where you are. I just simply want to introduce you to Jesus. But there is conditions. The condition is simply this, that you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and wash me. I've messed up, I know I have. To enter into your family, I need to be forgiven. And so here I am tonight and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. 
So tonight I'm simply asking those of you that have never entered into this extraordinary relationship with Jesus, would you do that tonight? I want to pray with you. The count of three, I want you to raise your hands. Indicating to me and the Lord that you're ready for this first extraordinary relationship that will lead to every other relationship from here on out. At the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. God bless you. Thank you. I see those hands going up all over. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. I see your hand over there, sir. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Families coming to Jesus. That's wonderful. God bless you. Thank you for raising your hand. Now, while your hand is raised, I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer after me, especially those of you with your hands raised. Please pray this prayer after me. Let's say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I come as a sinner, someone who knows that they failed you. But I know tonight that there is forgiveness in Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me and after three days you rose to life again. You paid the price for my sin so that tonight I can be forgiven. Father, I'm asking to have this extraordinary relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.